whenever I was dealing drugs, whenever I was on opiates, whenever I was shooting cocaine, I was obviously negatively influencing myself and I negatively influenced a lot of other people during that time. Hey, welcome to the Cash PT Lunch Hour podcast, the number one show for passionate physical therapists looking to start and grow an even more successful cash-based physical therapy business. I'm your host, Aaron LeBauer. Thanks for spending time with me today. Now, before we get to the episode, real quick, if you're new to the show or haven't picked up your Cash PT checklist yet, then you're definitely missing out. This checklist lays out all the steps you need to start a cash-based physical therapy business. If you want me to send that to you, then just text CASHPT That's C-A-S-H-P-T to the number 444-999, and you'll get this essential checklist. Now on to the show. Hello, welcome back to the Cash PT Lunch Hour podcast. This is your host, Aaron LeBauer, and today I have a special guest. His name is Rob Groupie, and Rob is joining us um, because of a recommendation from one of my fellow mastermind members and my coach Bedros and um, Xander Fryer, who's one of the mastermind members. We were meeting a few months ago and Bedros was sharing a story about Rob and about like his business journey. And he mentioned, you know, his backstory. And I was like, wow, that's interesting. And because it has to do with opioids and addiction and jail and being a successful business owner. And Xander was like, Aaron, you need to get him on your podcast. And so I've got Rob here today. Um, I think we're going to have a very special episode. So Rob, thank you so much for being here on the show. I really appreciate you um, spending some time with us. Definitely glad to be here and share. So um, Rob is the owner of um, Twice Bit and CrossFit, and he also does online coaching, and he's got a very successful business. Um, but Rob, let's, I want to go back and, and start. Like, can you tell us about like, how would you get into learning <coughs> CrossFit? And what is your, what's your story? Um, you know, like, what was the transformation that happened? Can you, you know, I know this is probably, we could talk for hours, but <laughs> five minute version and we'll tease out the pieces. Okay. Yeah. So, uh, I guess it started my, I was a fat kid growing up and, um, I got into bodybuilding. My dad got me into it when I was about 11. I'd had an incident where I got uh, beat up and kind of humiliated by some older boys and just the feeling that I had afterwards of like, oh man, you know, why didn't I do something? I just, I felt humiliated and I never wanted to feel that way again. And uh, bodybuilding was the avenue uh, that basically started to build my identity, build my self-confidence. So I really started down that path, hardcore, learned everything that I could about it. And then um, during that time, as I was developing through there, I got a lower back injury. So I hurt my back deadlifting and um, it basically just it took my identity from me. I identified as this person, you know, I wanted to be as big and as strong as I could possibly be. And then all of a sudden I was not able to work out anymore. And I had made some bad decisions when I was younger in my life and got into selling drugs, uh, dealing drugs. And one of the drugs that I dealt was um, Oxycontin. And so 
with that injury, I began taking Oxycontins. And for me, it was amazing. Mm -hmm. I felt amazing when I took them. I was like, oh my God, you know, this is awesome. Why have I never done this before? But I had no idea what I was getting myself into at that time. And so what started off as a way to just feel better turned into a full-blown addiction to where it was, I, I need to do this so I'm not sick. Right. Was this so, you're, you're working out like probably five, six days a week, hurt your back. Uh-huh. Like what happened? Like did you go see a, a physician, surgeon, somebody, and like what happened there? Did they prescribe this to you and then you were just doing I, it anyways? You had it? <clears throat> I guess let me back up and and put the sequence in a little bit better order. So (laughs) I was into dealing and and selling drugs and I'd actually gotten strep throat one time and uh, I had those Oxycontins and that's when I tried one for the first time. Mm -hmm. And it was like, you know, oh, this is awesome. And so I started taking them. I was going, I was doing jujitsu at the time. I would take them, go to jujitsu practice, have amazing practices. I would take them and then work out. So, and then I could work out harder. <clears throat> it was just awesome. And then it was, I was actually on Oxycontins when the injury occurred. Mm-hmm. So then it was even more Oxycontins and it turned into a $300 a day habit. Wow. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Wow, I was taking at the, the peak of it, uh, 10, 80 milligram Oxycontins a day. So just for context right. of people like that's, that's a lot. Yeah. Yeah, it is. It is. Um, did you see, I mean, so just having access, easy access to Oxy and, you know, did you even go see anyone about your back or did you just take it and just work through your back and that was an issue? So I was, uh, I was getting my Oxycontins through a Mexican connection mm-hmm. at the time and that went away and then I just had to buy in black market. And again, you know, that turned into like a $300 a day habit. Yeah. And even though I was dealing drugs, that it came to a point where it wasn't sustainable even with that. So I reached a point to where I was about to um, just tell my family what was going on Mm -hmm. and and get help. I mean, I needed help. Uh, But around that same time, somebody came to me and was like, Hey, you should just go to a methadone clinic. Yeah. So I'm like, all right. So I did that and it went from me doing you know, spending $300 a day to me spending $50 a week. And they bumped me up to 180 milligrams of methadone a day. That was my maintenance dose. And again, that's a lot. Um, so yeah, that was, I made that switch to doing that. And that was a, a short-term fix. Right. And this was like methadone clinic. You go see a physician. They say, yeah, you're taking oxy. We're going to get you on another drug. Right. So a methadone is a synthetic opiate with opiate blocker in it. Mm-hmm. So what happens is uh, they start you on a dose and then they 
we'll bring you all the way up to 100 milligrams and then have you come in and take a blood trough test to see how quickly it's metabolizing out of your system. Based on that, they bumped me up all the way to 180 milligrams. And as I'm going through this, I'm like, okay, well, how is this going to stop me from taking Oxycontins? Right. Right. And I found out when I went and bought a bunch of them, crunched them up and sniffed them, and they did absolutely nothing. Yeah. Because of the opiate blocker in there. And then I was like, oh, okay, that's how that works. Mm -hmm. So I didn't do those anymore. But again, we weren't solving the problem. And the really challenging thing about it was, is when you go to a methadone clinic, at least, you know, when I went there, you get a counselor and they, you know, talk to you about what's going on. And basically my counselor told me that because I had taken so many opiates into my system, uh, that basically my receptors were messed up to the point where I was going to have to be on methadone for the rest of my life. Mm. Yeah. Is that the way it is right now though? No, no. (laughs) What was the, what was the, what was the solution? Like, what was the thing? What was it? You know, like what, what, what got you from, well, I don't want to say from there to here because there's a lot, but like yeah. the next thing, because I, I know that you, you spent some time incarcerated right at the next thing. And it was just, that was, or I mean like, t- t- yeah. So, um, just the, just touching on like the power of addiction there. Mm-hmm. Like I also, during this time when I was on methadone, I started taking cocaine. I was sniffing it at first and then it messed up my nose so bad that I went to shooting it Yeah, and I was shooting cocaine about 15 times a day. And, uh, there was one time where, um, I was in the bathroom about to take a shot. My daughter and her mom were in the next room and they had no idea that, that it was like this. They had no idea that I was shooting drugs. And then I had, uh, uh, justified everything in my mind, uh, to the point where I would, you know, I got really good quality cocaine and I would weigh out each shot and I would use bacteriostatic water when I would shoot it. So I was being super safe and all that good stuff. And on this particular day, I had made up a double shot that I meant to split, but I forgot. Uh, so in that moment when I'm in the bathroom and I'm taking that shot, you know, as soon as I push all of it into my vein, I realized that I messed up, that I just took a double dose and inside I'm starting to freak out. But at the same time, I'm like, well, I don't want them to know. Right. So I get myself into the shower, water's flowing over me. <laughs> and I'm just like praying like, oh my God, you know, please don't let me die. Please don't let me die. And then I have these images in that moment of my daughter and her mom, they're visiting my grave site. And, and I'm just like, just all this is going through my mind. And then it passes. And I know like I'm in the clear and you'd think that that would be the moment that I'm like, okay, you know, and that's when I decided to turn my life around and, but it didn't work that way. The, the power of addiction was so strong that literally 30, 45 minutes later, I was making up another shot. Mm-hmm. So just to, to bring that around to say that when you're in that state of mind, you, you find ways to justify things that aren't justifiable. Right. So what brought all that to an end 
Um, you know, my family's trying to reach out to me at this point, And every time they talk to me, I'm like, no, no, I'm, I'm, I'm good. You know, I'm just tired, you know, this and that. And then I ended up uh, falling asleep at the wheel at a stoplight. My foot stayed on the brake somehow. Who knows how many cycles of the light went through before the police actually got there. So I woke up to the police pulling me out of my vehicle. Um, and I had drugs and a gun on me. Mm-hmm. You know, that's how out of control life had gotten. And um, so I had to go to court, had an attorney and all that. That was like, you know, first offense, no big deal. Um, but it didn't work that way. You know, I had a good amount of cocaine on me when I got pulled over or when, when they got me, I had a gun. And uh, when it came sentencing day, instead of getting a slap on the wrist or probation, they gave me a 20-year prison sentence. Wow. You know, and, so. And you hadn't had but, any prior, had you had any prior um, convictions or misdemeanors? No. Nope. Wow. Nope. So it was just a, in that, you know, I thought I was going home that day. Yeah. And, uh, you know, in that moment, like when, when the judge said what she said, it got really real, you know, as they're cuffing me up, my family's crying. And, and I just made a decision that day that I was going to change my life and I was going to help other people change their lives as well. Uh, but that's also when the cold Turkey process of coming off of opioids, yeah. uh, went down as well. Yeah. Was that the bottom? Was that moment the bottom? Was that the turning point? Or is that somewhere? Was it somewhere? Yeah, I mean, that was, I, I made the decision. I mean, I can just vividly recall it because when I got that sentence, it just, I got really upset, you know, and I didn't have anybody to be upset with but myself mm-hmm. because I made all the decisions that led to that moment. It didn't matter that, yeah, it was my first offense and I didn't feel like it was unfair. I was shocked by it, but I was like, okay, you know, it, it's because of the decisions that I made that I'm here right now in this situation. So I'm going to make every day count. There's not going to be one day I can look back on and think, why didn't I use my time more effectively? So that was the decision I made on sentencing day. And I carried that out every single day. Yeah. Wow. Was that, um, so that was unexpected, but that wasn't typical. Was this like, you know, we're going to make an example of, of Rob or was it just like the wrong day, wrong time? Well, you know, I mean, that's the thing with, with, uh, sentencing sometimes when, I mean, somebody could just have a bad day and decide, you know what, instead of 10, let's do 20. Yeah. So (laughs) hand them out. They're just saying it's just a number to them. Right. Right. I want to know, and here's what, here's what I'm thinking as a physical therapist. I'm like, okay, before that, like, yes, you know, you were doing like, you know, like self-medicating and doing different things, but you've been through, probably at some point, your primary care physician, you've been through the methadone clinic. Where did the system, like, where, did this, do you feel like the system failed you or missed you? Or, and where did that happen? Well, like the good health system, not the bad, you know. Kind right. Of- so I guess that's a, a kind of a twofold answer. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, I did, I was... I just didn't understand addiction or how it worked then, Mm -hmm. you know? So when they told me like, Hey, you're going to need to be on this for the rest of your life. I just, I believed it. Yeah. And then when I first started my sentence and going through, um, 
all the processes and everything, you know, they ask me, are you on any medications or anything like that? And I'm like, yeah, you know, I'm on 180 milligrams of methadone a day. And they were just like, okay, cool. Like not anymore. And so it's just straight cold Turkey. And I don't know, like I had attempted on my own to stop several times. Yeah. And I just couldn't do it. Yeah. You know, it was like, it wasn't, it was, I was on it to be normal. I was on it to not be sick. Right. So <laughs> it was definitely a bit rough uh, being in Oklahoma County Jail, which is a, a not fun place mm-hmm. uh, coming off of an extremely high dose of uh, methadone. Yeah, no, I can't, I can't even begin to imagine. Is um, before we move on to the next piece, I want to know, like, is there something in the beginning part of that journey that someone like me could have done? Or were you just like too into like just the the addiction process for anyone to say, hey, Rob, look, there's another alternative. You should go see Aaron or Aaron's friend. God, you know, that's a really good question because, you know, I, I think about that a lot. You know, is there anything that I could say to the me then that would have actually broken through, mm-hmm. you know, cause, cause again, like one of the things that I reflected on when, whenever I got locked up, the thoughts were, okay, what, what led up to this and how can I not do that again? Yeah. And so one of the things that I thought back to was that moment whenever I basically OD'd and then how that wasn't the thing that made me stop. Uh, I'm like, man, how, how could I have justified that? And I couldn't come up with an answer, mm-hmm. you know? So that's, that's a really good question. Um, especially for somebody that's just deep into their addiction of how do you, how do you interrupt that pattern right. without them going to prison and <laughs> uh, there being no other alternative uh, but yeah. that's a really good question. And I ask myself that a lot because I would definitely, if there was a way that I could help somebody in that situation, I would like to to be a part of it um, because that's a really tough spot to be in. I know yeah. because I've been. Yeah. Back when you were like that time you were deadlifting, you were already, you were already were taking the opioids. So it wasn't like you hurt your back and then got prescribed it. And then it became, a right. You know, so, you know, to me, like that's a lot of what I mean, we encounter more often is and, and one of my one of my mastermind students, Elizabeth Brewer, lives in Virginia, where her town has a really big um, opioid addiction problem. And I think, and that's one of the reasons that I was like, I gotta get you on here because, like, we deal with this all the time. And like I mentioned to you before the show, I've had patient who was self-described addict. He's like, and and they're still giving it to me. They're still giving me the opioid. They're still prescribing it to me, but they're not helping me get off of it, even though I want right. to. Are you encountering other people with similar stories like that through your work and through other things that you're doing? Um, you know, not, not a whole lot. I mean, I, one of the things that I, I knew, like I made a decision that I would just not be around obviously anybody that used that yeah. um, because I knew it was a danger point for me mm-hmm. um, because I really, I really liked it and had a really big problem with it. Um, but as far as, man, like, I, I don't know. I don't know the, the answer with that. Like, 
I think through, through physical activity, through physical therapy, I think um, it can help and definitely get people to the point where they can, you know, work their way off of it. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's, that's, that's a good yeah. question. Yeah, you know, it's my job to ask hard questions. Yeah. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, you know, I don't know, always know if there's an answer, but some days I look at it and go, well, what if, you know, the men, people, people knew before that, you know, like, cause at that time, and well, this is more than 10 years ago, right? Oh yeah. 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 I mean, at that time, I mean, the drug companies were saying, yeah, this stuff is safe, you know, even to medical, it's, it's safe. People don't get addicted to this stuff. So, um, you know, I don't know, uh, what the answers are. Um, but I do know, and, and I want to fast forward a little bit, like this has made a big impact on you, <laughs> like understanding, but in your business and your career and your mission. So, from the day you got incarcerated, you said, you, you said, I'm not going to let this happen again. I want to help other people. Can you tell me more about that? And what, what's that journey been? Yeah. So whenever I was uh, dealing drugs, whenever I was on opiates, whenever I was shooting cocaine, I was obviously negatively influencing myself and I negatively influenced a lot of other people during that mm-hmm. time. And that's something that I'm not proud of. And that's something that I can never take back. So my why and my driving force is that because I did those things and I cannot take them back, the only thing that I can do is moving forward each day, try to make every day count and try to make a difference in somebody else's life Mm -hmm. and try to make a positive impact anywhere that I can. So that was the the driving force and just having that contrast of now, you know, everybody has problems, you know, but when I can contrast the nights of me laying there staring at a spot on the wall or the ceiling in my prison cell and thinking I can't wait until I can just get out and have the opportunity to barely get by struggling, living paycheck to paycheck. Mm -hmm. Just let me get that. Anything that I encounter in my life now, any adversity, any obstacle, any struggle, I just think back to that time when I would just dream of having the, the kind of problems that are in my life today. Yeah. yeah. There's different kinds of problems. <laughs> right. For sure. So um, what happened? Like, was there anything else happening during the time that you're incarcerated that laid the groundwork for where you are right now? Any other pivotal um, moments or stories or things like that you did? Or so I just, I decided, you know, again, that I was going to make every day count. One of the, I will definitely say this where the system could have done better. One of the first things that I tried to do was get into a drug program. Mm-hmm. Because again, you know, the questions were like, how, how, how did I get to this point? How can I not do that again? And so I tried to get into a drug program and they wouldn't let me because I had too many days in my sentence. So here you have, I'm watching as people are being forced into this program that don't want to do it where I'm like actively like, can you please let me get in there? And they're like, no, you got too many days. So I just took it upon myself. I did a lot of reading, a lot of self-studying. And just started, you know, 
trying to understand, just, just working through a lot of like books like that, trying to understand uh, my mind and, and how that could have happened, how I could, you know, not let it happen again. And also just establishing a routine, a physical routine for myself uh, to get back on track physically. And I did that and I ended up just from having a structured program myself and from people seeing me, seeing me be consistent, they would seek me out, seek out advice. And I would end up training people at uh, every facility that I was at. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Wow. Um, and so when you, when you got out, like what was the journey from there to, you've got a very successful CrossFit business now. What were those, what were those steps? Was it, I mean, you know, was it like instantaneous or it took time to work through this and figure out where you're going to go and what you're going to do? No, definitely not instantaneous. So, uh, the, the name of the business twice bitten CrossFit Mm -hmm. comes from having two failed partnerships and overcoming a lot of adversity. And, uh, you know, business is a, is, is not easy. Yeah. You know, there are always going to be things that unexpectedly come your way that you're going to have to deal with. And so I went, basically the journey started out as me, uh, being a one-on-one trainer, <coughs> having a small amount of clientele and then Growing it from there, increasing my clientele, opening up my first location, and then failed business partnership, uh, multiple failed business partnerships before I wisened up and got a coach. Yeah. So, Bedros was uh, my first business coach. Oh, wow. Awesome. Yeah. So, that helped out tremendously because I didn't know, I mean, when it came to actually running a business, I didn't know what I was doing. Yeah. Right. So that helped tremendously. And I always, I, I have coaches in my life now. And, and that is definitely the way if you want to fast track, um, getting ahead and making progress is definitely get advice and coaching from somebody that knows how to get you there faster. That's awesome. Um, so you definitely had the passion and drive. Um, but what was the number one thing that you learned working with Bedros that uh, really got things moving in the right direction for you? So it was really just, uh, the business basics. Like I didn't know anything about, I guess one of the, one of the biggest breakthrough moments for me was, you know, as I was working with, with people, with, with clients, I was very hesitant about extending myself and really putting myself out there because I was like, you know, I'm a convicted felon and like, who am I to like help people? And there's people way better than me. Mm-hmm. And uh, it was one of the videos that Bedros put out that I watched that was like, you know, there are people out there crying themselves to sleep at night because they don't know about the information that you could help them with. Yeah. And you don't share it because you're thinking about you and how you're going to feel like you selfish bastard, you know? So I was just like, Oh, that just really spoke to me though in that moment and and helped me like step up and and just start, (laughs) start being more open. And this was when I ever, I was in, uh, Bedros mastermind group. Uh, he had a, uh, a session we did where he actually brought in 
his therapist. Mm-hmm. And normally, you know, it's like, where's the biggest, where, where are you struggling the most in your business? You talk about that at the round table and they give advice, but this was psychologically, what's the biggest um, struggle that you're dealing with in your business. And for me, it was like, you know, uh, my previous, uh, drug addiction and incarceration. It's, you know, it's not something that I hide, but it's not something I just openly tell people about either. And so there was this fear and anxiety about like, okay, you know, what if people find, find out and, and he's like, okay, well, here's what you're going to do. You're going to, um, do a little nutrition orientation with some people at your facility and you're just going to tell them. And then after that, you're going to write an email to your email list and you're going to send it out. And then after that, you're going to do, you're going to make a Facebook video and you're going to post it on Facebook. And as a matter of fact, uh, that video just popped up on my timeline today. It's three years ago today that I made that video and put it out there. And so, yeah, and that was just, that, that really started, uh, a huge next chapter of just being able to be open and transparent on a different level <clears throat> to be able to help more people. Wow. That's amazing. That's powerful. How did that, how did that moment um, impact your business in your life since then last three years? Well, just a lot of people uh, reached out to me, you know, it, it made, whenever you are vulnerable to other people, you know, they will in turn be more vulnerable to you. Mm-hmm. So I just, it, it really brought a lot of people to me that uh, had very similar stories. Cause I think no matter who you are, you have gone through something in your life <clears throat> that's been tough, you know? And so when you share a vulnerable situation of something you've been through, that's like, Whoa, you know, I, I can't believe he was open about that. It let, it gives people the ability to be more open with you and say, Hey, you know, this happened to me. And then it just creates uh, an easier path for you to help somebody and coach somebody because they're starting with an open book instead of the the cover that most people do. Right. 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 It breaks down the barriers. It's more than just building rapport with people. It's building trust and breaking. Down right. Barriers. Definitely. So how are you doing that um, these days? It's, I mean, that was like almost like a reveal, but like, are you sharing this on a regular basis or is it part of your, you know, how you're communicating with people? Like where does this story come into your business these days and how are you using it? So it's something I'm definitely, you know, my, my team, very open with my team about that. So that's in turn created a, a culture where, you know, the team is vulnerable and then, you know, with the, the clientele that we have that it's just a very open um, environment where people are there to just support one another. And so there's that. And then uh, like now the, the one-on-one coaching program um, that, that has just allowed me to connect uh, more deeply with more people mm-hmm. on, on many different spectrums. Oh, so that's amazing. Cool. Yeah. So how, um, with, with your, with your CrossFit gym, like we all know, uh-huh. like I was, I was at CrossFit this morning, you know, yeah. we all kind of know what CrossFit is. Uh-huh. I think we know what CrossFit is just like everyone thinks they know what, you know, a lot of things are, but, uh, how are you guys doing CrossFit different? What's, what's setting you apart from maybe the other CrossFits in town or 
you know, other places around the country? Like what, what, what's your mix on that? So for me, CrossFit is a vehicle to help people. Mm -hmm. So I am not married to like any one way of fitness or methodology. For me, it's about what's effective, Mm -hmm. you know? So if that means somebody needs to adjust movement patterns to where we're, we're never doing anything overhead or, or we're substituting something else in that makes more sense based off of that person and their needs, then that's absolutely what should happen. Yeah. Right. So it's, it's definitely a, uh, based off of where the person is at and meeting their needs versus being focused on competitions or, or anything like that. Yeah. Yeah. Right on. And are you guys doing anything um, specific when people do get injured these days? Are you even personally, are you doing different things? Like if you work out hard enough and you tweak something, are you doing it like anything specific? We definitely, we have a physical therapist that's a part of our community that we refer people to. Um, But also it's, you know, depending on what happened, I like to keep people engaged and like, let's say somebody hurt, their shoulder yeah that they could still come in and uh do the airdyne bike or something like that just to to keep the habit and pattern going of them coming to the location Mm -hmm. right versus well i'm injured so i'm just going to stay home and my whole body's going to become deconditioned and i'm going to be completely out of the habit of doing everything that i was doing and then when i am good to go i have to start completely back over from square one yeah yeah. Awesome. You know, it's, what's funny is that, uh, is that I've seen more people get injured taking, you know, going to yoga than in CrossFit, <laughs> you know, yeah. I've seen someone break a toe. I've seen, you know, and it's, and a lot of people go to, I was thinking about this this morning. A lot of people go, they go to yoga because, um, maybe yoga will solve their problem. You know, like yeah. their, their, their pain. I don't know that people go to, I was know that people go to go to CrossFit because, Oh, CrossFit is going to solve my back pain, which either of them could, but I was thinking like, what are the two different reasons people go? And the question I'm getting to is a question I got on a, on a coaching call earlier. And I, I want your answer is the guy was like, well, I'm trying to do injury screens at gyms and at CrossFit, but it doesn't, I'm not getting any traction. If someone like me, a physical therapist, a, a clinic owner like, look, I can, I can help people with back pain who want to be helped. But, you know, what I need is partners in the community in the fitness. And fitness is where people are closer to where people get hurt. Um, I'm like too many steps beyond and I want to be there. What would be some of the things that I could say, do, or ask you where you would say like, absolutely, Aaron, I want you on board with our team so that we can help all these impact lives every day. Like what would, how, how would you like me to approach you? So one of the things that, that I've found and one of the reasons for the online portion of the program is that there are so many people, especially in uh, my area, that are just so deconditioned that they're not even ready for an, an intro class. Mm-hmm. They're just not. And they're, they're scared of it. There's so many people that don't even walk through the door because they're like, I don't want to be that person that can't do that. I'm not going to be the only one that can't do that stuff. Everybody's going to be looking at me, judging me and setting people up on a path 
that they can win that gets them to the point to where they have the baseline of fitness to where they can start their journey off. And so for a lot of people, that's just moving and in the online spectrum, getting them to the point to where we're just talking basic movement patterns, like, Hey, we're going to do some body weight squats. I want you to send me some video of it so we can just see how they're moving. And then based off of that, if you see anything, um, that is just way off and that's where a recommendation would be like, Hey, I think you should go and see, you know, somebody like you in that case. Yeah. And if, and if you and I didn't know each other, if you and I didn't know each other and I was had a PT clinic in the community, um, like how does it work? Like how, what could I say to you to introduce myself to get, to get to that point where you're like, yeah, you, you know, you don't move well, that hurts when you do a body weight squat, you need to go see Aaron before we're even going to get you into a class or, you're injured because a lot of times we, we see people who are get their shoulder injured and they go to their surgeon. Surgeon says, don't lift weights. What are you doing? Lifting weights, stop lifting weights. And the CrossFit, you know, gym loses a member, you know, like if I could, if I could keep that person on your schedule and then we both keep them healthy, but you didn't, we didn't know each other. What would be the best way for me to introduce myself to you? Like, see, that's, uh, that's a really good question. Um, because one of the things uh, that has, has got me is that there's just <clears throat> a lot of times there's such a gap in, in skill level, somebody just beginning and getting to the point of intermediate, like let's just take, you know, overhead squat, for example. Mm -hmm. If that's something that's prescribed, it doesn't have hardly anything to do with strength. It has to do with the mobility, Right. And somebody that's new that doesn't have the mobility to even do that movement with a PVC pipe will try to do it with the bar because that's what they see everybody else doing. Right. Right. And then they, they set themselves up for injury and that can easily happen and it has, and it will probably continue to. So to, to figure out like how you best bridge that gap and have awareness and education you know, so it doesn't get to that point mm -hmm. or there's, yeah. Cause I mean, obviously we don't want people to get injured in the right. first place. Right. <laughs> Non-injury isn't very motivating to people though. You know, it's the, yeah. I mean, I don't want people to get injured, but you know, not being injured isn't very motivating. Once people are injured and they can't go to CrossFit then that's more, yeah. and that's the motivator unfortunately. But yeah. So how, you know, I think that, um, I think that's a good point. So you guys have programs or part of your program is to, you know, a little bit maybe screen people or take them through an intro class and make sure that they're, they're good for the movements. You know, like, because like, yeah. One of the things that I've, I've noticed and just seen a, a trend with is a lot of times people will come in, they'll be super motivated. They'll follow the, the meal plan that we give them. But then after, you know, whatever amount of time the challenge lasts, then, yeah. then they, they start to fall off. Mm -hmm. So it's starting people with less expectations, more guidance, easier steps so they can win and build momentum, especially in the nutrition part of it. Yeah. And, and then just moving, right? Just moving. You know, what, um, what are some of the, best things that you're doing to retain your, your clients and customers. So trying to figure out ways to always 
trying to ask myself, like, what is the main obstacle they're facing right now? And what can I do to, to help fix it? Yeah. And, and again, that's where, you know, I would see a lot of people, even people that are consistent, um, they would lose weight whenever focusing on, you know, a meal plan. And then as soon as the meal plan's done, they get, gain the weight back. Right. Right. So really uh, teaching people a system for how um, they can make eating healthier and still have the things that they want and don't feel like they have to never have anything again, how to incorporate that in their life. Because I mean, I've weighed over 300 pounds before myself. Mm -hmm. Right. So I like to eat. Right. But that has to be balanced with eating in a way that keeps me, you know, where I want to be body composition wise, but still doesn't deprive me of the things that I want psychologically either. So it's finding that balance and, uh, you know, I've luckily been able to, to, to do that and have somebody walk me through acquiring the skills to be to that point. And that's what uh, I'm really trying to help other people with as well. So um, they can do awesome. the things in fitness they want to do. Dude, that's great. So what are you like, what are your goals right now for fitness and business and in your life? Where, where are you going next? Just to continue like focusing on the, the life transformation aspect. Like it, it's always been my goal. I want to meet with and work with the top fitness experts, life transformation experts in the world. And then to, to translate those, those skills to, to people in need. You know, I think if the focus is on life transformation that that'll always be something that people need, whatever form that takes. Um, and that's, that's physically, that's emotionally, that's uh, through nutrition as well. So I'm always going to be focusing on that part, especially the, the mindset part of it is just helping break people's beliefs. Like mm -hmm. people will have this story, you know, in their mind are things are the way they are. And that's just because that's the way life is. And it doesn't have to be that way. If you don't like the situation that you're in, you can change it. <laughs> how, how, do, how do we break through that? Like someone listening is like, oh, like my business is never going to be successful or I'm never going to be good enough. I mean, how, what's the, what's your, what's your best tip or advice for someone who's in that so mindset? With that, it's going to be the power of questions, you know? Mm -hmm. So first question in that is, is that really true? Is there anyone else in the world with the same set of circumstances as you that's found a way through it? Right. And if the answer is yes, then that means it's possible. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Right. So that's the first step is to create doubt in a belief that you currently hold because we all have blind spots. We all have limiting beliefs. And sometimes our beliefs are so deeply held that we don't even realize that they're beliefs. It's on an unconscious level because they're so deeply held. And it's not until you're exposed to something, maybe somebody asking you a certain question that you're like, wow, I didn't realize that I thought that. Mm -hmm. Right. So it's always seeking out, you know, what questions can I be asking myself um, to help me become more aware right. and, and realize that that is just a belief that I have. Yeah. Beliefs are powerful. <laughs> I 
I mean, absolutely. If in performance, in life, and success, you know, I mean, I've 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 been there with them too. So, um, thanks for sharing that. That's. Um, let me ask you another question. I want to just shuttle backwards a little bit. If someone's working with uh, a patient or someone who has an addiction issue, um, especially someone with back pain and you know their opioid addiction or something, what's the number one thing that they can do to help that person? I would say to just ask them questions. Mm-hmm. You know, like just to to really try to understand, because in order in order to influence somebody, you have to meet them where they're at. You have to understand what is currently influencing them right now. Mm-hmm. So through questions about what's going on in their life and listening, actively listening, instead of thinking about you know what I want to tell them, what I want them to understand, it's how can you, through questions, lead them to the path of admitting, you know, Hey, and that's something that I want help with. Right. Yeah. That's like a motivational interviewing type of almost right. Where where you have to have the other person has to say, yes, that I want your help. Right. Exactly. Because if you, if you tell, when you, when you tell somebody, even like on a, on an unconscious subconscious level, they will automatically become defensive. Mm -hmm. But when you can, through your questions, get them to the point to where it's their idea, you know, then they're going to be open to it. And so I'm glad, I'm glad you asked that because I think that's uh, a really good answer to, you know, how you can potentially help somebody that's in that position. Right. Because I think through the power of questions and getting them to come to the realization of, you know, what, what I'm going through right now isn't okay and I can't handle it on my own and I do need help. Yeah. What's the number one question you would ask? Probably like what's, what's the main thing that you're struggling with right now? Mm-hmm. And if they say, uh, nothing, I'm good. Okay. Well, if you were struggling with something, what would you say it is? Mm-hmm. Oh, that's good. Yeah, that's really good. Yeah, yeah, that's great. I can see how that like breaks down, helps break down the barrier. But it's it's also the way that we interview people when we're even just trying to figure out what's wrong to sell them into one of our plan of care. I mean, are you guys doing similar stuff when you are onboarding people in your gym or in the personal training that you're doing? Yeah, I mean, I mean, anytime you're going to help people, you've got to understand like what where what is what is their pain you know what is what is their need you know how can we genuinely help them and if we don't dig enough through questions to really find out what it is for them you know then we cannot effectively help them to as high a degree as if we go through that intelligence gathering phase and really find out you know what it is for that person right how we can help them wow awesome Rob, is there anything that I didn't ask you that uh, you think would be beneficial or help our audience? Uh, I guess it's, you know, uh, just always knowing that any problems or obstacles that come into your life were put there 
to help you grow into the next best version of yourself. Mm. Yeah. That's awesome. And that if you can always like, just think of that, it's tough to, to think about that when you're in it. It's like, why is this happening to me? Mm-hmm. You know, it's the questions that you ask yourself instead of why is this happening to me? It's where's the lesson here? And how am I going to grow from this? Wow. No, that's great. And especially as entrepreneurs, we're always encountering problems. I mean, and they're good problems, but it's, it, they don't always feel good. <laughs> right. You know, without some perspectives, like, like, wait a minute. No, that's a good price. Like, how do I add more staff? How do I, what do I deal with too many people coming? Like the classes are full. We have to add another class. Well, it's not a bad problem, but it can feel, it can feel out of proportion to the perspective based because we get in our head about, and we lose perspective. Is, would you agree? Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. That's, that's awesome. Well, um, we're just out of time, uh, Rob, but, and I want to respect that uh, you've got a busy day, but if someone wants to get in touch with you, learn a little bit more about you, where can we find you online? Um, on Facebook, Rob Groupie, G-R-U-P-E. And then, uh, through my Instagram, Rob Groupie there, you could just shoot me a uh, private message. That's awesome. Well, thank you very much. We'll, we'll also put, uh, your information and links in the show notes. Um, Rob, again, I, I really appreciate you being here, sharing your story with us. It was really powerful, um, a very different episode than I typically have. And I think it's a great, um, it's a really powerful lesson for everybody. And um, so thank you for providing that perspective and sharing. Definitely. Yeah. Appreciate you having me on. Absolutely. Um, well, this is the Aaron LeBauer and Rob Groupie, and this is the Cash PT Lunch Hour. If you guys got anything out of this episode, I would definitely appreciate you letting us know, giving a shout out on social media somewhere, tag me. And look out for my new book coming out. It's the Cash BD Blueprint book, cashbdblueprintbook.com. By the time this episode airs, it should be out. So look out for that. And again, um, this is Aaron and Rob. I want you to dream big and work hard and persist through all the challenges. And remember, it's all about perspective. Thanks, Rob. Thanks, guys. Yep, you bet. Hey, what's up? It's Aaron. Real quick, if you're just starting a cash-based physical therapy practice or you already have one and you want to learn how to grow it and scale it, this is for you. I just released my brand new book, The Cash PT Blueprint, because I want to get this book in the hands of every physical therapist out there. I want to give it away to you for free. All I ask is that you pay a little bit of shipping and handling, and you'll not only get the steps to create your own cash practice, but the tools to grow it and scale it beyond what everyone else thinks is possible. To snag your copy right now, go to cashptblueprintbook.com. That's C-A-S-H-P-T-B-L-U-E-P-R-I-N-T-B-O-O-K.com. And when you get your copy, give me a shout out somewhere on social media, and we'll talk to you soon.